So what I want to do is really talk about Yom Kippur and also Sukkot, which is bonus because it kind of goes together. Um, the context I'll give it in Shema, which is not, you know, at first I was like, oh, that's like just sort of like one of those random segues, but it's not. This is like a real topic. Is if you look at Shema, actually, if you look at the very, the very first. Let's take another step back. When we say Shema, we say, You should repeat them with your children, review them with your children, and speak of them. Speak of the words of Torah. And the word Bam, right, you know this nice Torah, Torah. The word Bam is Bez Mem. Bez is the first letter of the written Torah, Beratius. And Mem is the first letter of the oral Torah, Me'e Masai. From when? Okay, if you didn't know that's our Torah, it's a very nice little Torah. Okay. You should speak of them, and of them is referring to the words of the written and the oral Torah. Okay. So what is this me'emosai, from when? That's actually the very beginning of the oral Torah, meaning the first Mishnah of the first Masechus, which is brachos. The first Mishnah of the first Masechus of the whole Torah Shabbat Peh goes like this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, there's no reason not to, but I happen to know this because I was studying with my son when he was in third grade. From when can you read Shema at night? From the hour that the Kohanim are allowed to go in and eat their Truma until the end of the first watch. That's what Rabbi Eliezer says, and the Chachamim say until midnight. And Rambag Namliel says you can actually say Shema all the way until the sun starts to rise again, meaning the entire night time. Okay. And then it once happened that his sons went out late and they came back late and they hadn't said Shema and what should they do? Okay. The second Mishnah in Brachos is Me'imasei Koran es Shema B'Shacharis. From when can you read Shema in the morning? Um, I would love them, but it's not an emergency. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay, from when can you read Shema, that's actually what I'm reading now. From when can you read Shema in the morning? You hear people say, when's Mishayakir? Which is like a funny thing. Mishayakir is from when one can recognize. Okay, so it's like a funny definition. It's from this Mishnah. It's from Mishayakir, Ben Tchelis 11. When you can tell the difference between a light blue and a white. Because at night, you actually, right, you have like rods and cones. You can't actually tell the difference between most colors. And the light blue and the white is a real tough one. Okay, Rabbi Eliezer says, Bein treles lekarsi. And Rabbi um, Eliezer said, actually, it's when you can't tell the difference between blues and greens, which is a different and maybe even a more different one. Begomer ad and you have until the sun rises to complete it. Rabbi Yoshua says you have until the third hour of the morning to complete it, which is lucky for us because we would have a really different calendar schedule every day if we had to be finished with Shema by sunrise, which is the way of Malachim. Like, even pampered people, they get up by third hour of the morning, so, which would be like mid-morning. Okay. After that, you could read Shema if you want to, because you're learning Torah, but you're not fulfilling the mitzvah of Shema in the morning. The mitzvah of Shema in the morning is based on you should say Shema when you're sitting in your home of and when you're out on the way, going upon the way. when you lay down, and when you get up. Okay. So we can see then the first two Mishnayas, one thing that's striking about them, the night comes before the day. 
Okay, there's a mitzvah shmatz to say night and day, and we can see that that is sourced in the written Torah, where the written Torah said when you lay down and when you get up. So when you lay down, that's the night. When you get up, that's the morning. Okay, this is my jumping off point. I'm admitting to you now, it's a jumping off point, but I'm also telling you now that this is a very important point. So even though it's a little bit of a jumping off point from a Shema point of view, um, from a life point of view, it's really fundamental and it is in fact indicated for us here in Shema. Later we'll see how it's indicated even more deeply in the structure of the first paragraph, followed by the second paragraph, followed by the third paragraph, which takes the same, the same Seder and the same order. The question is this, when do we define a day? So in American legal terms, the day begins just at midnight. It starts at midnight, it ends at midnight, right? And technically speaking, midnight doesn't even have an a.m. or p.m. We tend to say 12 a.m. because like you can't really hold in any particular point, but the truth is it's not really an a.m. or a p.m. It's right in between, okay? And then everything going ahead of that becomes the next day. But that is not, of course, the definition of a day. It's, it's very convenient. Um, in terms of not having days change when most people are active and busy with stuff. So you don't get the date changing in the middle of transactions, mostly. Okay, nowadays, uh, you know, we're so globalized, but that's kind of probably the concept over there. But when is a Jewish day? Sunday. The Jewish day starts when it gets dark, right? Whether that's, do you say that that's sunset? Do you say that that's when the stars come out? Right? Is it somewhere in between? That's Bain Hashmashos, so we tend to go Lahachmir in different situations. But okay, when it gets dark is when the day starts and the day ends again the next time it's getting dark. You may or may not have heard that in the Beis HaMikdash it was different. How they reconciled the two calendars, I don't know. But the calendar of the Beis HaMikdash begins at sunrise and ends at sunrise. A day starts in the morning and ends in the morning. Whereas outside the Beis HaMikdash, the day starts at night and ends at night. Okay. So I guess the question over here is why? Hmm. Okay. Now the Shema is talking to us. We're n and we're not saying Shema in the Beis HaMikdash. And it tells us the night and then the day when you lay down and when you get up. So it does put that first. Uh, yeah. I have a question. What's happening in the base Hamikdash after the sun sets? That's a good question. I had this like chart from a different time we did this. Okay. Like not here. Right. And kind of nothing. I mean, there was stuff going on, like the Kohanim are like eating their truma from the day. They sit down, they eat something. Like there's guards who are walking around. There's gates that are closing. It kind of makes sense then to me. That that at the base Hamikdash, the day is starting in the morning when things are happening. Yeah, but that happen. should be true of everybody. You go out and the, everybody's I, life kind of starts in the morning. I, I know. I think we, as a on a daily basis outside the base Hamikdash, I could see that we're starting at zero. That we need to our day doesn't we we need to start from this sort of bottom up. So this restful sleeping time mm -hmm. I mean that we you know now we have a, electricity and there's a lot going on that keeps us up much longer but when the sun would set we would quiet. have to cease activities basically right. 
So in that sense, it's like you're sleeping. I don't know. Yeah, so I, I didn't also, bring the source. There's something in Mission and Habit that I remember saying about somebody who goes out at night is about being like... It's usually a little bit foolhardy in yeah. Chazal. It's kind of like you're exposing yourself to dangers right, and things, right, typically. Right. So okay, so Rav Hirsch has a piece. I didn't actually look it up for this shear, so it's not fresh in my mind. But he does have a piece on nighttime um, and the role of nighttime before daytime as... I should have looked it up for this because it's pretty closely connected. It just happens not be the exact thing we're doing. Um, the nighttime before daytime in our daily life as being preparatory. So the concept that... Night is not the time when we recover from the stress of the day. Night is the time that we prepare and build ourselves up for the work of the next day, which is a a total paradigm shift inside the mind, right? If you've thought of it at all. If your sense is, oh, finally I can lie down and recover from the day, then your night doesn't have the same value. Okay, it's a recuperative time. And you it enjoy it. It's for you. But if your day at night is to prepare for the next day, all of a sudden, every minute, even when you're sound asleep, is fraught with value and potential because it's building you up for whatever you're going to accomplish the next day. So the value of the night when it's preparatory to the day, the value of the night is achieved through its being preparatory to, to the day. If the night is only the recuperation from the effort of the day, then it doesn't actually have any value of its own. I didn't prepare it. I should have prepared it. I would say that that, in a sense, is the underlying basis for what we're going to learn today, really. Now that I think about it, that's really what it is. So I want to start with this, which is the Pachat Yitzchak. And, you know, it's like a joke to think I'm going to do the Pachat Yitzchak and even get through much of it, let alone read something else, but it's really, really worthwhile. Okay. Oops. So, sorry, I think just another one there. Okay. This is Mimer Yud Gimel. This is actually from Rosh Hashanah. Okay, but this topic is actually Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot in particular. Well, also one of the things about the Shema and Yom Kippur oh, sorry. is the Baruch Shem Kavod. Yeah, that's a different share, but yeah. Okay. The place of simcha is in the heart. But there are also rules, there are halachos lamaisa of action. So it gets expressed not only in the heart. We know from the words of the Chachamim that our simcha lamaisa, particularly on Sukkot, is eating meat, drinking wine, right? For men, usually for women, you say it's having new clothes, for children, having treats, candies, nuts. Amira Shira Bapes, singing Shira with our mouths, that would be halal. And Amira Shira Bakeli, and saying Shira with instruments. Okay, why is that, why is that particularly sukkis? Kolzehu Bichlal, this is in general. That's the simplest basis of Shoeva. Right, having musical, like it would have in the base Hamikdash with instruments and dancing and bringing the wa- the water, the service of pouring water. But more than anything, that's really unusual about the simcha of Sukkot is this thing called simchas beis the joy of the 
of the water drawing. We see here something very unusual, a new form that the Simcha takes, which is juggling torches of fire. So it says the great Chachamim would throw torches in the air and catch them. He says, this is odd. <laughs> like, why? What is that about? And in particular, what does that have to do with Simchas Beis HaShoeva? I don't know, not weddings or something. Let's explain. The source of this service of dancing and singing and throwing torches in the Beis HaMikdash that took place, it's also the source, by the way, of the halachos of Mechitza, um, is in the division of the waters on the second day of creation. Right? Hashem separated the waters into the upper waters and the lower waters. Beshas Havdalazo, at the time of this separation, Hayumayim Tachtonim Bochim, the Zohar says that the lower waters cried, We need to stand before the king. Wow, I get all emotional just hearing that. Okay? God divides the waters. There's the upper waters and the lower waters. And the lower waters say, are you serious? <laughs> what about us? We also want to stand in front of Hashem. We also want to praise him. And the lower waters were then promised by God. Hashem said, don't worry, you'll also stand before me. Sorry? Tsunami. No. <laughs> you will be elevated up onto the Mizbeach on Sukkot. We'll take the lower waters from a spring. We'll pour them on the Mizbeach. So this is not the time to go on to the side and remind you the times we've talked about the Mizbeach and the shape of the Mizbeach reaching upward and it has to be in contact with the ground. There's no floor over there because Mizbeach is Mizbeach Adama, Mizbeach of earth, and it's bringing the earth and reaching it upward toward God. Okay, so putting the water on the Mizbeach is reaching it upward to God. Okay, but Hashem says, don't worry, you'll also stand before me in Niso Hamayim, which is the Simchas Beis HaShoeva. So to explain this according to our ability, because it's the Zohar, and this is the Bachad Yitzchak, so that's his ability, I guess. He said, so to understand this, let's look at other qualities about the second day of creation. What is the Shira of the Levium in the Beis HaMikdash on the second day? Right? Shir Shahayu Halavim Omrim Bevesa Mikdash. Godol Hashem Umehulam Od. It's Hashem is great and very praised because on the second day, Chazal said, Why do they say this paragraph to Hillem? Chilek Ma'asav Umalach Alehem. God divided his creations. That was the first time that was something divided, right? You had the upper waters and the lower waters. Umalach Alehem, and he ruled over them. And Rashi explains, he divided his creations, he divided the upper firmament between the upper and the lower waters. And we see from this, even though the singing forth of God's malchus 
doesn't really come till the sixth day, which we see reflected in the shear of the Levium on the sixth day, and the creation of man on the sixth day, and the completion of all of creation on the sixth day. So it's all a unified and harmonious, completed thing. Asher Shira, so he Hashem Malach, because that's the Shira, Hashem Malach, Hashem is the king. Mikomakom, nonetheless, Gilu Lanu Chachamim, our Chachamim have revealed to us, Kisharsha Shal Shiras Yom Hashishi, that the root of the Shira of creation that is only completed on the sixth day of creation, is rooted in the division that was created on the second day. That the second day of creation is where something was divided and the result of that only blossoms forth on day six with the entire singing of the whole creation being fulfilled. Okay. We don't know what the connection is between these yet, but this is what the message is from Chazal. That's what Chazal are telling us here. They're saying he divided them on day two and they sang on day six. Okay, This tells us something about creation also. Ramban says it corresponds to the thousands of the world. Okay, So the beginning of creation begins with division and ends with a shira to God and recognizing him as king. He divided his deeds and he ruled over his creations and ruled over them. Be'er hadvarim hu. What's the explanation of all this? Ki kol tchunos nafsho shel adam yeshlahen tchunos makabilos v'sidrei olam. We have to understand that man and the world reflect one another. You might have heard people say a person is a microcosm of the whole world. Every person is a whole world. Ve'af betchunos ha'bechira. Even in terms of bechira, free will, shehi ha'mesamenes. That's our topic lately, right? Which is kind of the major distinguishing characteristic of a person. We should we have to see that reflected in the world. It's a two-way reflection here. When man was created and given free will, it says God created, and there are two yuds there. And Rashi says, Because man was created from the upper parts and the lower parts. So you here you have a, a creation that is upper and lower. And there's some kind of division going on over there. Just the fact that there's upper and lower, on the one hand, you've united them by saying they're two parts of the same thing. And on the other hand, you've divided them by saying they're separated. And that is the that is the moment where man gets free will and gets his neshama. Okay. That the root of this uh, aspect of Bechira that a person has is also the same thing of the waters being split up and down. Somehow that is representative in the cosmos of what goes on inside of a person with Bechira. Zeu she'amru she'chilek ma'asavu malach aleim klomar Hashem melech on the sixth day, you have the creation of man who is a Baal Bechira, who has free will, when he accepts upon himself the yoke of the Malchus of heaven, that is the Shira of the whole creation. And the root of that is on the second day. Now this sounds familiar. We've been talking about how man's Shira, right? how when we accept Malchus Shemayim in Shema, that is achieving a level of shira for a human being, right? Because that is when we achieve our perfection and in our unique way of serving Hashem as we were created to do. 
Okay, and that's the sixth day. Now we get to the place to talk about the tears of the lower waters. I'm not sure exactly tears of waters, but waters of tears, tears of waters, of those lower waters saying, but we also are desperate to stand before the king. Okay, I think this, let me, let's just go forward another step over here. It's really harder for a person to be born at all because once we're born, we have all these challenges and we can fail, right? Really, it would be easier for a person's soul to just stay in heaven and not make a trip over here before heading back home, right? But, and yet we see that this is what Hashem created us to do. He does create us. We don't really get a choice about that part. And so our job is to do the best we can in the situation that we're in. As Bali Bechira. And the Bechira is what makes it difficult. If we didn't have Bechira, if we were Malachim, it wouldn't be difficult to be born. That would not be a problem. We don't say about all creations that it would be easier for them not to have been created. It's only people. Why is it, why is it harder? Because we can fail. The problem about Bechira is that you can mess up. Other than that, it's great. Bechira, perusha, The definition of free will is the possibility of failure. That's inherent to it. It's, it's really more than that. It's not just the possibility of failure that is inherent to the concept of free will. It's the absolute certainty of failure. Not long-term failure. I don't mean to say that we'll completely fail, but it is absolutely certain that because we have free will, we will sometimes fail. It's not, you're not going to always get it right. There's no such thing as a tzaddik in the, in the world who can, do good and, who can do good and never do wrong. You just can't, you can't do it. Okay. And this is what we wail about about That means that since Bechira is rooted in that separation of the upper and lower waters on the second day, that means that all our wailing and our challenges and our suffering and our crying, our crying is the crying of those lower waters. The, the suffering that we have from our failures is all part of that lower waters being separated from the upper waters because that's all part of Bechira. The fact that we fail is a function of the fact that we have free will. The fact that we have free will is a function of the fact that God created division in the world. He did this dividing. It started from day two. Okay. So... Day one is not considered as... Not any division. You only have unified... You have things that are created in unity. Uh Even the water is created. But on day two, now you have the separation of waters. Why is it happening then? I don't know. Well, I have an idea, but let's not go there. But let's just start. Let's just say it's day two. Okay, on day one, so you have oneness still. Mm -hmm. So even though you have things that are being created sort of with some kind of independent identity from God who is one and really all-encompassing, you still don't have an idea beyond uniqueness. Day two, just the fact that you have a second day, you now have a concept of more than one. You have a concept of other. And that's that, the, the creation of day two is a creation of other. But also on Sukkot, we're itself. dependent on the Mayim El Yanim because 
Yeah, you have the judgment for the, yeah, okay. So let's continue on this path and think about this another minute and realize that the service of Niso Hamayim, of pouring the water onto the Mizbeach, which is the fulfillment of God's promise to the lower waters, this is specifically associated with Sukkis. Nechamasam, the comfort, the reassurance given to the lower waters is provided by bringing them into this, the bringing of the waters upward is associated with kavod. So we're not going to explore that. He has other essays that bring it there. Let's just say when they first were creating the temple, right, and they drilled down, have you ever heard this? And they had a problem that the waters threatened to rise up. The lower waters tried to rise up and flood the world, inundate the earth. And they tried different things to close it off, and it wasn't going very well. And then finally they said, The king of Kavod is coming. Like the Shechina is coming, you need to give way to the Shechina. And the waters subsided. Okay, so there is a specific thing with Kavod here. What do, and he's, he's bringing this connection, why? Because with Kavod, what's a greater degree of respect? When you come into a class and the teacher speaks and you respect them, or when you come in and you don't respect them, and by the end of the class, now you respect them. Yeah, that was like out of left field a little, but let's say, let's make it less personal. The kids, <laughs> our kids go to school and they come back the first day of school and they're like, I hate my teacher. She's so mean. She's so awful. And she's so disorganized. And she always comes like, you know, she's really, I have no respect for her. She doesn't know anything. She doesn't know her subject. She, right. And then like a month later, you're talking to your kid, like whatever happened with that horrible teacher? She's like, well, she's not really so horrible. Like actually she's really very smart about some of this stuff okay which is a better uh, we're not talking about judging the kid we're judging the covet okay the respect that is shown from day one is not as great as respect that has been earned why is that and and this also he references back to a different essay why is that it, it's not part of it of course is the change in the person but it's because the kavod means i recognize the greatness of the other for for me to recognize greatness in the other person from the get-go that's that's fantastic but if i saw negative and had to be turned around from the negative to the positive that means i've seen a lot more greatness it's reflective of much more greatness that i was able to to appreciate because if not i wouldn't have turned around so in a way giving respect where it wasn't there before is actually representative it's indicative the the covet is more meaningful it's more meaningful because it means there's even more greatness there than there would have been indicated by just the initial respect this he was referring back. We don't really have to go down the covered route because I, we didn't do all the background work for it, so it's okay. All right. But it's true of other areas as well where it's more obvious to us. Okay, he's there, he's here, he's referring it back. 
So we can feel this. He says, from here we, we start to understand the nechama of the water is somehow greater. That there's an elevation of the niso hamayim, of the lower waters, that's actually greater than if they had just been created up in the Mayim El Yonim in the first place. There's Isn't something greater. For granted in a way too? Part of taking things for granted, appreciation, all of these are part of it. Right. Okay. Um, it's the lower waters that come onto the Mizbeach. The upper waters don't. And Dafka, because the lower waters are more distant from God, they're coming a longer way, so to speak. It's because of that, not in spite of it, their elevation is more meaningful. And that goes right onto the Mizbeach, meaning there's a process of elevation. The upper waters are created elevated. The lower waters go through a process of getting elevated. They wait, they cry, we want to stand before God. Eventually people will come and scoop them out and pour them on to the Mizbeach, which itself is a process of elevating to Hashem. Okay? There is a preference there, adifus, like they're, they're preferred, it's better. Adifus zosha rechokim al gabe krovim, this preference of those who have been distant over those who are already close, this is at the root of kavod. The The time when was sukkis. One of the things we commemorate on sukkis is we sat in sukkis <laughs> in the desert. One opinion is they were sukkis made of wood or bamboo or reeds or whatever, and the other is the anenei kavod, clouds of glory. Well, what are clouds? They're little drops of water. So we sit surrounded by water on Sukkot, okay? And this is when the water gets its relief from all of its suffering. It says, now you can be elevated. Now you can get there. So there's something about the water over here that's deeper than just like, oh, by the way, on Sukkot, we have time to bring this special service. But the I don't know. That's a very good question. I would guess not. I mean, I think we think of clouds as kind of up there, but I don't think clouds are part of the upper firmament. Well, what the water that comes from them and the, the is that considered the upper waters? I don't even know. I don't know either. Just asking. I don't even know, and I'm not sure that that's necessarily where clouds form from. Clouds probably form bottom up, right? Yeah. I mean, like you have Eid Yalem in Haaretz, you have the, the mist that came up from below. I think clouds are actually a representation of the opposite of, cl- of water from down, down elevating down. upward. And then <laughs> yeah. the rain. Okay. The All right. So now... Okay. I'm going to do just this one line that I underlined in number base on the next page. Simona Hamuvkach shall simcha hamofia bipanim shall bechia, klapestam simcha hamofia bipanim shall schok. Says, how can you tell the difference between the joy, a happy face that's, that was crying before, and a happy face that was happy? You know, you could have like tears of joy. Right? So a person can be super happy. There's happy because you're happy, and there's happy because you were sad. Like the, 
It's This is a very interesting thing. You know, people say, oh, she was so happy, she cried tears of joy. That is a little bit of a misrepresentation. If you have ever cried tears of joy, you'll know that those, it, they do come from joy, but they're joy that is a relief of a previous suffering. Meaning you were under stress before and maybe you didn't cry then. And when it's over, you're so happy and you cry. Well, that's what they say, the happy tears under the chuppah. Are? Are tears of joy that come from all the years of Yeah, that makes sense. That's what tears of joy are. That's the thing. Tears of joy are, in fact, tears of pain. It's just that they come when you've had relief from the pain. Okay, that's a very important thing. I mean, psychologically, it's a valuable thing to know. Okay, so that is starting with the tears of joy over here. So let's come back. Just looking for exactly where to start. Okay, so just like we have this sort of reversal, the distant one becomes close, and in doing so, now has achieved something more than the one who was close all along. This is like the concept of when a person repents, for, when you do something wrong and then you correct it and you actually come back to God that way, you are some ways, in some way even stronger and more elevated than you had been before that. Okay? Because you have achieved something from the distance that is reflective well, of the effort. You could have stayed That's that right. Way. It reflects the effort and the care. It is more meaningful. Right. It is even more meaningful. We don't mean to denigrate the tzaddik part, right? But it is even more meaningful than the tzaddik is the balchuva. And we're not talking about people who weren't born from and became from. That's not. Balchuva over there, we really mean someone who did something wrong and did tshuva and repented. Okay, so that's like universal. Someone came to the Ger Rebbe and said something, and the Ger Rebbe answered, and he said, wait, wait, but I'm not a Baal Tshuva. And the Ger Rebbe said, oh, so I don't want to talk to you. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> right? The person took it as, like, some kind of insult, like, oh, you thought I wasn't really, like, from, from birth. And the Ger Rebbe's like, if you're not a Baal Tshuva, like, who, what kind of person are you? You know, <laughs> everyone needs to be a Baal Tshuva at every time in their life. Okay. So there is a simcha that is called, he quotes Rabbi Yonah, laharo simchaso bizman kaparaso. There is a joy that's like the tears of joy, which is the joy when you are for, forgiven. Okay, so now you start seeing a little bit more how this all starts to fit together. We had Rosh Hashanah, Day of Judgment. We have Yom Kippur, a day for forgiveness, for asking forgiveness, for achieving forgiveness. You come to Sukkot, there is a joy there that is not just joy. It is a way deeper joy because it's a joy that follows being forgiven. Hashem saying, Salahti, I forgive, right? We did the golden calf. That's really bad. And Hashem said, Salahti. That joy, it's a deeper joy. It's a bitter and deeper joy because it's a joy that is coming out of the pain that came before it. That is the simcha of, of Sukkot, is a joy that is really richer and deeper because it is based on the fact that there wasn't so happy before that, that we were worried before that. And this corresponds to the lower waters saying, but we must stand before Hashem. Imagine if we could go into Yom Kippur feeling like the lower waters. But we've got to get there, right? If I come into Yom Kippur saying, Rebbe Shalom, help me, I have got to be able to stand before you. 
I want my life to be something. They're more helpless than we But we also feel a little helpless, okay? So in the... The comforting of Sukkot is Hashem comforting the lower waters and saying, don't worry, someday you'll go up on the Mizbeach. That is the comforting of Sukkot, of surrounding us with water, with lower water, right? And saying, don't worry, I'll be here, I'll take care of you, you have a place to come to. That there is, a, you're wandering in the desert, and yet you have the comfort and you have the protection of God, even during that time. This is the process of those who are distant becoming closer. That is the simcha of Sukkot and how it follows Yom Kippur. Also, okay. we heard an amazing shir from Shira Smiles where she talked about um, you know, the ones who are Jews. Yeah. And one of the things that I think about bringing the Lachosim is that at there's like this nikudat habichira within inside all of us, and at different times in our um, the cycle of our, our year, it kind of ignites, it, it nice. flares up, and so at this time, that part of every Jew flares up, and that's what brings people to come to show that's interesting. They don't go any other Could time of year. People will say, oh, you know, they're a once a year Jew, but that's exactly the fulfillment of what well, there's you know, there's some hope there yeah yeah so that when it says here about bringing the Rechokim close and that's also like I think all of us try to bring people to our sukkah who wouldn't normally right. have a sukkah because it's the time of year where we want to be gathering people together to show them the beauty of Yiddishkeit and to you know it's like an opportune time way more beautiful to bring to than all day davening and, and yet people hard. show up yeah. and yet they show up okay wait I want to I want to do some reverse here Okay, just because I want to answer still the question of how come the night before the day. Okay, so on page three, I just gave it to you so you could follow along with me, but I didn't manage to mark those up. So I'm just going to, from the first paragraph, just the principle. On the pinions of time, which bear us through life, pinions are wing joints. Okay, so imagine birds flying. Okay. On the pinions of time, which bear us through life, God has inscribed the eternal words of his soul-inspiring doctrine. Time itself is shaped and carved to teach us and educate us. There are different times in the day and in the calendar, and the reason for them is to guide us. That's that God created the sun, the moon, and stars that would be guides and signs to us for the holidays is those two things go together. Holidays educate us in time. And he goes on to say, and it comes to us. Whereas the priest or the holy person that you might want to learn from, maybe when you need him most is when you can't get to him, like getting to a doctor when you're sick, right? But time will come and visit all of us. Mm -hmm. So this teaches us directly. Okay, making days and weeks, months and years, the heralds to proclaim his truths. Okay, so on, the, on page four, I'm going to read the first three paragraphs. The Jewish calendar, I won't read them, let me summarize. I'll read a little and I'll summarize a little. I love reading because he's so beautiful. All right, the Jewish calendar has a dual year. This is where we start to get really amazed. What is the beginning of the Jewish year? 
Trick question. Nissan or Tishrei? Which is it? Nissan. And you always wonder, like, so what's the point? The year starts in Tishrei, but you're, you're counting years from Tishrei, but the year really started in Nissan. Like, when do you even, right? The Jewish was created in Tishrei. Or in Nissan. Or in Nissan. Or in Nissan. But we, we Right? It's a question in the Gemara. The world is Nissan, I would say. Okay. So that, yeah. And this is where he's going. But he does something amazing. Okay. He says the Jewish year has a dual year. It also has a dual day. Right. And these two correspond. So the Until I read this, that had never occurred to me. Lower waters. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. He doesn't mention the waters. Okay. So you have a day that starts at night and ends at night. That's the world out here. You have the Beis HaMikdash day starts in the day and ends at the day. And you've got two years. You've got a year that starts in the fall, in the evening of the year, that's Tishrei, and ends in the evening of the year. That is the world of creation. That is Rosh Hashanah for all people, not only for Jews, whether they know it or not. Everyone is judged, right? That is the creation of people in general. And then you have a year that starts in the spring, and ends in the spring, starts in the morning of the year, seasonally, and ends in the morning. And that is the year of the Jew. And the Jewish holidays are all counted based on months, counting one from Nisan. And it's like, they're like six months apart, and they're Yeah, it's exactly apart. opposite. Like, it's, a direct, it's exactly yeah. a parallel. It says these are the same thing. In the same way, there's a day that begins at night when the veil of night is spread over the cradle of creation, a day which, how, now, what is the implication of this? If your day starts at night and ends at night, then no matter how bright the day gets, you know it all ends in darkness. If your day starts in day and ends at day, then no matter how dark your night, you know it all ends in daytime. That is, remember we talked about like you shifted your framing about night and its role? Okay, that is a key point here. But I think for most of us, we would consider our day starting from the morning. Could be. He says that is in fact a Jewish idea. Even though the countable day Okay, so let's look at the second paragraph. The night day, which leads from night to night, is the day of creation by which in all places you reckon the periods of your earthly pilgrimage. If you are looking only at the physical world, it's actually from night to night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The world starts in darkness and chaos, and who knows where it's going, and everything finite collapses, and Rosh Hashanah is in the end of the year kind of phase, and right, everything, we know nothing's permanent, people grow old and die, right, everything kind of ends in darkness and in chaos. But in the temple of God, the Mikdash, the day of light, the day which leads you from morning to morning is the unit. That corresponds, by the way, to the creation of the world with Gan Eden and ending with a perfection of Gan Eden, a messianic era back to the state of Adam HaRishon before the Chait. That's a whole different worldview. It's, <laughs> okay, the autumnal year, the year that begins with Tishrei, entering the harvest, closing with the harvest, is the creation of the earth. By that calendar, by the way, we don't reject the calendar from Tishrei, we incorporate it. So by that calendar, you count the years of the world, the years of your world, your doings, your occupation with things of the earth. The spring year is how you count your Jewish life, months, and festivals. Now I'm skipping to page five. From okay, that's okay. On Sukkot, that's why we read Koheles. All is vanity. 
right? Everything in the world, by the way, if you read Kohelas, the secret to Kohelas is watching whether he describes things as under the sun or under the heavens. Kumar Chasima Tova, so good to see you. Good luck with everything. A new good year. Okay. So, Kohelas is Hevel Havalam Hakol Hevel, right? Because what he's trying to teach us is not to think that way. He's saying if you just look at the physical world, then yeah, everything is night to night. That is Kohelas. That's the Megillah of Sukkot, right? Okay. Because it, the secret to that is knowing is he's saying everything is Tachas Hashemesh or Tachas Hashemayim. When you talk about Tachas Hashemesh, you're talking about the physical world. When you're talking about Tachas Hashemayim, it's the world with a spiritual cast to it. Okay. That's never described as meaningless by Kohelas. It's, it's only the under the sun. Is when we count chronological That's right. change of the year. But in Nisan, when we get the midst of Rosh Chodesh... That's where we count the months and the holidays. We're counting the spiritual right. progression. That's right. That's exactly what it is. So mark this. In the Jewish spirit, in the Jewish holiness, there is nothing without value. There is nothing that we say has no value even physical stuff. The Jewish sanctuary was not built over graves. Death and signs of death are far from its precincts. And in its circuit, time is reckoned from morning to morning. Doesn't mean nothing has no value. Remember what we said? If, you're, if you end with night as just recuperating from the day, then your night doesn't really have a value. But if your night is a preparation for a day to come of something really substantial and productive, now your night has this amazing value, every moment of it, no matter what you're doing. Well, also, a lot of times, I know for myself that if I do all my preparations the night before, my next day is so much smoother. It runs more smoothly. This is talking about a different concept. It's like if when you lay down to sleep, you say, Hashem, please may it be your will that all of my sleep be a preparation to serve you well tomorrow then every single instant of that night, even when you think you're doing nothing and you're unconsciously sleeping, is actually an avoda. Wow. Okay? It becomes part of your... It, it is what fuels your morning. Wow. The same way your, your food can fuel your acti- actions. Hi. We'll be out in a minute. The Jewish spirit reckons by spring times the spring paradise, not that of the other world, is placed by it at the beginning of human history. So Judaism teaches a way of life in which even toil and labor, mourning and pain, are transformed into blessed cheerfulness. And the most short-lived germ, the most fleeting moment, is comprehended by divine spirit in man as an everlasting blossom in the garland of perfection. It teaches a life in which already here on earth salvation flourishes and makes its home, and in the midst of storm and night enjoys perpetual springtime and daytime rejuvenation. To teach men how to count and live from morning to morning and from springtime to springtime, that is the sum and substance of the Jewish message of salvation. Hmm. Okay. So what is the message of Tishrei then? Tishrei is telling us that we're counting our finite, but our joy comes from realizing there's a morning. It doesn't end with night. It starts there and moves on to day. You're going to end in day. It's going to be good. And so you have the, the falling down and going into Yom Kippur 
and coming out into the Simcha of Simcha's Torah and of Sukkot. This is why, why is night before day? Why is Yom Kippur before Sukkot, right? Why is the Shema of night before the Shema of the day? This is all this message, why the lower waters and then they're elevated up onto the Mizbeach. It's that there is a, the value in this world is the value of that process of moving upward to something higher. Hamapil, look at it again and see how closely it corresponds to the Yihiratzon at the end of Brachos. Right, because the we, words we, of it so correspond. We don't say Hamapil during the day because we're not going to sleep. But oh, I see. During the day, we're in the Vahavta and in the Vahavta. What I'm saying is, look at the look at the Yihiratzon at the end. Hamavir Sheinu Meina Yosnuma Meafapai is the exact correspondence to it's the Hamapil. Right. right, it's opening my eyelids. Right, right. Yeah. Right, and, and is, the but day, the bracha is the it's same. It's all active because you're, right. you're speaking, you're going, right. you're doing, you're active. Yeah. Right. And at night, you're, you're quiescent. Right. right. And the message that we're to take is that yes, the world experiences the world as Tishrei to Tishrei, but there's something more we have to learn, and that's Nisan to Nisan. Because right. without it, what do you achieve? What is your life? It's just ending. It's hakol hevel, right? But our hakol nishma kol adam. It's not that kohel is not trying to tell you the world is actually futile, futile, right? What he's trying to tell you is you got to look for something deeper than that and higher than that, because otherwise it's all for nothing. Right, and then kohel also says it up, you know, shlachet Oh, that's nice. Onto the waters. Because that's about going out in the world and doing chesed because that's what we're created for. And yeah. we're not going to go out and do chesed. I like that. Because water goes with chesed also. That's nice. Be people of chesed, then we're not going to get anything back because we haven't invested and we haven't given. Nice. It also helps with like that's nice. <laughs> it also goes with Ushafta Mind Yeshua. You will draw water and happiness. That's referring to this water that we draw up for some Shoeva. Right? Drawing water and happiness, Yeshua. I didn't think of it before, but that's the wellsprings of Yeshua. Right? That's what Rehersh keeps saying. This is salvation. Salvation is the belief that that the world ends in good. It has an end point at good. And that is the goal and objective all along. Mm-hmm. It's like standing up and clearing up because I just wanted to get in here. But I have to tell you, you should have such an office when you're brother. Over <laughs> Rosh Hashanah. You. 